0: Your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me uh, welcome those of you that are joining us online, and also those of you at Purpose Church in Rancho Rancho Cucamonga, and also our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also those at the Hangar in Montana. And we have a tremendous treat for you today. Mary Todd, I'm going to ask Mary to come up right now. Uh, She and Rick, her husband, are here. Uh, Mary is the campus pastor of our Montana campus, the Hangar in Montana, and I ask her to share kind of a Report on what's going on in Montana before I get into my study here today. Would you give her a warm Purpose Church welcome? Yay. Thank
1: you, Glenn. Thank you. Before I get started, I would like my, my husband to stand up. I introduced him as my handsome husband at the first service, but now I'm going to introduce him to you as my stud muffin husband. We've been married 38 years, and we are partners in ministry, and so thank you, Rick, um You know, over the history of this church, you have seen amazing missionaries give their stories. missionaries that from the time they were 10 years old, know, knew that God had called them to share the great commission in this world. Well, I'm not one of them. We Rick and I really had no intention of moving to Montana. We had no intention of starting a church. I would liken us to... Dumb donkeys. Really, God put a carrot in front of our nose, and we kind of just took one step at a time trying to bite that elusive carrot. And we ended up in Marion, Montana, starting the Hangar Church. It all started when I was an assistant pastor at Azusa Pacific University, and I got licensed through our church as a pastor. And so when we started building a bed and breakfast, I would fly up to Montana, and I noticed that none of the workers went to church So I asked our head builder, Murphy Wager, why isn't anybody going to church? And Murphy gave me all kinds of excuses. And honestly, I don't know how this happened. It wasn't planned. Out of my mouth flowed these words. What if we started a church in our airplane hangar? Do you think anybody would come? And I'll even cook dinner for them." And Murphy said yes. Well, I told Rick, and he thought it was a great idea. And he said, we've got to fly down to Southern California and meet with Peter Torrey, the mover and the shaker of this church, our executive pastor. And within uh, nine months, Pete Wilson came and had our whole church, our hangar wired for a church. And we were ready to go. That was five and a half years ago. And let me tell you, God tricked us into this. But when God tricks you into something and you're in his will, there's no better place. It's the greatest experience in the world. I'm just going to briefly tell you a few stories, some of my favorite hanger stories, and they've just happened recently. A couple of months ago, um, we we were getting ready for the service, and we're a very small congregation, but I came down and the church was packed. Rick was rolling tables out because so many people had come. And we turned the video on of our beloved Glenn, And I realized, this is the same sermon Glenn preached last week. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So I ran upstairs, thinking my computer was upstairs, and I thought, I'll get one of the messages I've preached, and they haven't heard before. No computer. No message. So I ran downstairs, and I just began, and I started preaching on Deuteronomy 30.15, choosing life or death. And i just seen the movie War Room, and I was fired up because I feel like God is making a line between light and dark. So I just preached away by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish it happened that way every time because it wasn't any work for me at all. God did it. From that point on, something happened in our church. After that, we went into um, another service a couple of weeks later, and after church, we'd had our meal, we'd had our, our sermon, everything. All of a sudden, we went into an impromptu time of communion. We took communion together. Then we prayed together. And then our wonderful worship leader, Rhea, sang worship songs over us. The Holy Spirit was so powerful that night. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we have a family called the nuns. Now, our church is set up for people who don't want to darken the doors of a church. Our dog Gus is there. People are allowed to bring their dogs. The dogs walk around. They greet people. It's the most casual thing you've ever been in. Well, we were sitting there a couple of weeks ago, and these girls, the nuns, who came up and wanted to be baptized. And so I took them upstairs into our apartment and I asked them when they received Jesus. And they both had all had some different answers. One said, well, We'd been to the Hangar Church for about a year, and I started realizing that I I felt like I could feel God. And then the other two just looked blank and had no idea. So we went through the Romans' walk, and I shared with them how we are sinners and how we can be saved through acknowledging Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, asking for forgiveness, and asking him to come in our life. They did that that night, and they were baptized in our jacuzzi. And then afterwards, Rhea sang psalms over the entire church, and it was so glorious. And I, thank you. And I just want to end by saying, you know, we're all dumb donkeys, but because of the lamb who was slain, who died for our sins, because of his blood, we are a royal priesthood we are children of the living God. We have been called for a purpose. There's nothing more exciting in life than to serve our King of Kings. And may we go forth and do that. Thank you.
0: My goodness, thank you, Mary. That is just awesome. She'll kill me for saying this, but do you know the? Um, they've actually the political community in Montana has been pushing on Mary to run for the United States Senate from Montana. How many think she'd make a great senator? I'm telling you. So, uh, Abby, pass that name along. Okay, take note of that. All right, great, great, great. That was just fantastic. And you know, God wants to use each one of us. We are all dumb donkeys. We're going to have a donkey theme going here in just a moment. We're all uh, dumb donkeys, just with the carrot in front of us, just taking one step at a time. And God, one of the ways God wants to use you is through the blessed life. Would you look back at your study outline? And last week I mentioned, I want to mention it again. If you go to the end of your study outline, you'll see that there are some books that I want you to read in conjunction with this series. One of them is called The Treasure Principle. Outside of the Bible, this is one of the five books that has influenced me the most in my life. It is a tremendous book. It's a little booklet, so it will only take like an hour to read. But it changed my life and I want you to have this, and they're available, piles of them, uh, back in the lobby after the service is over. And if you've already read The Treasure Principle, there's another one called The Blessed Life that is currently changing my life. And I'd heard so many pastors talk about it. I'd heard so many people within the church. It was given to me by somebody within our church, and it is changing my life now. This is just an awesome book. They're both available. This one cost the church $8. This one cost the church $12. So if you can kick that in, fine, but don't worry about that. Don't worry. Whatever you can kick in or just take it for free. And uh, last week, I said that Kimberly and I would make up the difference. And I didn't check that with Kimberly ahead of time. But this time, I did check it with Kimberly. And she enthusiastically said, absolutely. And we will make up the difference because we believe in these books are the principles that have changed our lives, that have blessed us as a married couple over these last 32 years, that have blessed us as a family, that we have seen blessed generations of Gundersons and Hazard's. Her maiden name was Hazard. Do you think God was giving me a warning right then? You know, how much clearer can God make it? And she has been hazardous to my uh, spiritual lethargy and comfort zone and gotten me into all kinds of adventures. And I'm so, so grateful for her and And just praise God for. But he has blessed generations of hazards on her side and Gunderson's on our side and children and grandchildren uh, to come. And we really believe that you will be blessed by this. Really encourage you to get a hold of that. Now today, the title of our study is First Things First. And in the Bible, about 500 verses in the Bible are about prayer. Less than 500 verses in the Bible are about faith. And yet there are over Two thousand verses in the Bible about money and possessions, uh, Jesus talked about money in sixteen of his thirty eight parables. Now, why did Jesus talk about money more than any other subject? I believe it 's this because the key to the Christian life is what we 're going to talk about this morning called the first fruits principle and it 's woven in the pages of scripture from, um, from uh, cover to cover okay. and and Jesus knew. That if we could get the area of our finances, if we could obey the first fruits principle in this area, all the others would come naturally. This is the one that's the hardest. This is the one that takes the most faith to trust God in this area. And if you can learn to trust God and see God come through in this area, it will lead you to trust him in all the other areas of our life as well. Now you can summarize the Old Testament sacrificial system in two words, sacrificed or redeemed. There were two types of animals that are talked about in the Old Testament. There were clean animals and unclean animals, kind of like kosher and non-kosher today. So clean animals would be animals like sheep. And unclean animals, sorry, Mary, would be would be ones like donkeys. A donkey would be an unclean animal. Uh, a sheep would be a clean animal. And so what they were called on to do in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was that the, the firstborn of the clean animals was to be sacrificed to God. But the firstborn of unclean animals was instead to be redeemed, not sacrificed, but redeemed by the sacrifice of a clean, spotless lamb. So unclean, redeemed, cleaned would be sacrificed. The redeemed would have a clean, spotless lamb would be sacrificed in its place. Exodus 13 verse 2, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. God declares that the firstborn is his 16 different times in the Bible. Here's an example. Verse 12. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So again, the principle is... If it's a clean firstborn, it's to be sacrificed. Unclean firstborn to be redeemed by a clean, spotless lamb. Now, this sacrificial system was in place for 1,400 years until one day John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River. And he looks up, and he sees Jesus walking towards him. And after 1,400 years, he points to Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see how the whole Old Testament sets up the New Testament? We are the unclean ones. And God, in our place, redeemed us by substituting for us, redeeming us with a clean, spotless, sacrificial Lamb of God, His firstborn Son, given on the cross so that we could be free of our sin. Uh, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Uh, Robert Morris writes that Jesus was God's tithe. Jesus, God's firstborn, was God's tithe to redeem those of us who are unclean because of our sin. Next page of your study outline, the Passover, where the Israelites are rescued out of slavery from Egypt and and, and rescued out uh, in what was called the Passover, when the death angel passed them over and judgment was avoided for the nation of Israel, and they were rescued from slavery. And because of their slavery, their slave owners, the Egyptians, God's judgment fell on them, the firstborn of every Egyptian, whether humans or animal. Uh, was taken in judgment for them enslaving the nation of Israel. But the firstborn of the Israelites was uh, protected if they did these instructions found in Exodus 12, verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, imagine this. They would be taking the blood from the sacrificial Passover lamb, okay, that was used to redeem them, to protect them from the death angel so that it would pass over and avoid, they would avoid God's judgment on them. And so as they put this on the door frames, on the sides and on the top, on the sides and on the tops, what are they doing? Prophetically, they are making the sign of the cross 1,400 years before Jesus hung on that cross, As they prepare with the shed blood of the Passover lamb so that God's judgment would pass over that first Passover, they make the sign of the cross foreshadowing that 1,400 years later, John the Baptist would look at Jesus and say, behold, the lamb of God that takes away uh, the sin uh, of the world. Now, I want you to write this down. I, I didn't put it in print. I should have to make it easier for you. But let me just read it a couple of times slowly so you can write this down. Any first thing given is never lost, and any first thing not given is always lost. Let me repeat that. Any first thing that is given is never lost, and any first thing not given is always lost. Jesus put it this way, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so we learn the the blessings of the first fruits principle within our lives that when you give to God of the first of anything he blesses not only that but the remainder of it but when we withhold it then we lose not only it but the other parts of that area of our life as well and so we we give God the first of our time and he blesses the remainder of our time we give him the first of our energy he blesses the remainder of our energy we give him the first of our finances he blesses the remainder of our finances. When I was in high school and following after Christ, I picked as my life verse Matthew 6 verse 33. But seek first, this is Jesus speaking, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In every area of your life, if you want God to bless that thing, give him first place in that thing. Give him the first fruits of that thing and he will bless uh, that area of, of your life. Now, I know that you believe this because here you are, the first hours of the first day of the week. Okay, Sunday, we consider that the first day of the week. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. So this is the day that we worship him. We consider it our first day. Here you are on this gorgeous Sunday morning. You are giving him the first hours of your week to worship him and to study his word, to listen to his instructions for the coming week. And why have you done that? Why have you learned to do that? Because you know God is gonna bless the remainder of your week. And even though you, quote, waste this hour doing this, you know that God is gonna more than make it up for you in the hours the remainder of the week. That's why you're here. You're already practicing the first fruits principle. So, all I'm encouraging you to do. As you found it to work in certain areas of your life. Just apply it to all areas of your life, including your finances. Uh, now, this whole first day of the week thing is what we call the Sabbath principle. And it, and it may be different days depending on your work schedule for people in law enforcement or people in a medical field. Maybe it needs to be a different day for me as a pastor. It's, it's a different day of the week. But what you do is you take one day out of seven, and you set it aside to rest, to worship God, and to pursue the things of God. And you find that he blesses the, the six other six days even more. You more than make up what time you lose in that particular day. Uh, Carol Allen uh, gave me this uh, the other day from history. It's called the Soviet calendar from 1929. The USSR, which is when Russia had the communist revolution, Okay, the communist revolution took over, and when they did that, the USSR uh, instituted use of a calendar that restructured a year into 72 five-day weeks, instead of 52 seven-day weeks, into 72 five-day weeks for a total of 360 days, plus five holidays to mark important dates in communist history. The purpose was to squeeze more work out of the workers. Instead of having two days off every seven days, which is 28.6% of the time, workers got one day off every five days, which is 20% of the time. On calendars, the five days of the week were printed in different colors, and each worker was assigned one of the colors to indicate which day was the day of rest. The new calendar eliminated the idea of one common weekend for everyone and made it easier for factories to constantly remain in operation. However, machinery that runs all the time never stops to receive proper maintenance. So breakdowns were frequent. The Soviet Union had returned to the seven-day week by 1940, just 11 years later. It found that even machines need the Sabbath principle. Have you ever said about a guy at work? Boy, that guy's a machine, man. No, he's not. Even he needs to take that Sabbath. Or, or as anybody said about you, she's a machine. Oh my goodness, can she crank out the work? She, she is a machine. No, you're not. You, you can't avoid this. God's blessing comes when we set aside that first fruit of our time, energy, finances, any area of our lives when we set it aside uh, for him. Now, it took faith for the nation of Israel to do this because they were to give the firstborn lamb, and they didn't know how many lambs that you was going to have, okay? What if they only had one? Then you would have given up to God the only one that that you was going to produce, and you wouldn't have anything left for yourself, and you'd begin to worry, is there going to be anything left for me? So it was by faith that they gave up the, the firstborn to God in that particular way. God didn't say Let your uh, sheep have um, nine lambs. And when the 10th one comes, sacrifice that one to me. No, they were supposed to do the first, not knowing how many more were to come. And you're doing the same thing here this morning by sitting here. You don't know if you're gonna get sick the rest of the week. You don't get certain work done today, you get sick tomorrow, you've lost all that opportunity. By faith, you are here giving these first hours of the week, you're giving them to God not knowing if you will have others that will follow. For some people, Monday is the first day of the week, and that's the day to get in and to make some deals and to earn some money and to get some money in the bank, first day of the week, because that's the most important thing within our lives. For some people, they live like Fridays, the first day of the week. Party as hard as you can on Friday night to make sure you don't miss out on the weekend. You know, just party it up on Friday night. That's the first day of the weekend because recreation is the first most important thing in their lives. So they give their first hours to that and they treat it like Friday's the first day of the week. But we as followers of Christ, the day that Jesus rose from the grave Sunday, we give that to him because we believe that to be the most important thing. It's kind of like, have you ever heard the saying, life is uncertain, so eat dessert first, okay? So make sure you get it in in case, uh, you know, in case uh, a tornado wipes out your uh, cracker barrel that you're sitting in or whatever, and you don't get a chance to eat the the rest of the the meal. Life's uncertain, eat dessert first. Do whatever is most important, do it first. And that's why we give him of the first hours of the first day of the week. Not only the first, but the first of the first. Exodus twenty-three, nineteen: bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. We're to bring it to the local church. We're to bring the first fruits there first. Uh, We don't give the first fruits to a television ministry, even though we very much believe in media ministry here, and we believe in that here at our church, and 130 different countries have accessed our sermons and resources here at our church, so we believe in media ministry, but you don't give it there first. Even a missions organization, even a missionary, we believe in missions here at our church, but you don't give the first fruits of the first tithe there. You don't give it wherever you want. You bring it to the house of the Lord. Proverbs three nine honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's so fascinating that when they conquered the promised land, the nation of Israel, the first city they conquered was Jericho. And so unlike the other cities, God commands with regard to Jericho that they couldn't keep any of the spoils for themselves. They had to give 100% of it uh, to God. Uh, why is that? Well, because it was the first city that they conquered in the promised land. God didn't say conquer 10 cities and then give me a tenth of what you get out of those first 10 cities. Or give me the spoils from the 10th city. Instead, he says, give me the spoils from Jericho, the first city that you conquer, not knowing if there will be any others along the way. And so the command was given with regard to Jericho. In Joshua 6.19, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And if you read back in the story, you find out there was this man named Achan who took some of the spoils for himself rather than obeying God's command. And because of that, there was a curse on him and on Israel. And they lost the next battle to this little town called Ai. Here they had defeated this massive town called Jericho. And then they lose to the next one, little dinky Ai. Why was it? Because God didn't bless them because they had not given the first fruits to him. And they had to get that thing right before they could continue their takeover of the promised land. Everything in our lives is either consecrated to God or cursed. It's either consecrated or cursed. You say, oh, Glenn, that's a very strong word. Well, it's the word God uses. In Malachi chapter 3, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that is into the local church, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations, other people, will notice and will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You know, as I share this with you it's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. You know, I I, I just, I, I know this is a hard message to receive, but I share it out of love because Kimberly and I have found in our family life, this has been a source of tremendous blessing. We have felt joy and and a blessing on our you know, on our on our kids and who they've chosen to marry and on our grandkids and on our personal lives. And every part of our lives, we've just felt the, the God's wind at our back. And, and we did this from the very beginning when, you know, when Kimberly married me, I was earning $13,000 a year, which is comforting because she didn't marry me for my money. Okay. It was really, Good to know, you know, she didn't marry me for my money. I was making you know, about a thousand bucks a month as a pastor in a small town when we when we started out. And yet we gave the first fruit tithe from the very beginning, even when we were only making a thousand bucks a month. And we just sensed God's blessing because even though this command was given 2,800 or 2,400 years ago, um... Uh, He says in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. And it's the same today as it was for then. From the very beginning, this has been a principle found in God's word. Even from Genesis chapter 4, just four chapters into the Bible, we have the story of, of, of Cain and Abel and how God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's offering, and so Cain killed Abel out of jealousy over that. And I, for years, thought, well, maybe God just likes shepherds more than farmers, okay? Because Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. And then there was that whole theory, too. You know, Bible scholars have debated over why God accepted Abel's and not Cain's. And it's been a matter of debate among uh, Bible commentators and Bible scholars. And some thought, well, because of the shed blood of the lamb, the whole lamb, sacrificial lamb principle. But, you know, there's nothing within the text that indicates that it was that was the issue, God was just as pleased with the offering from a farmer's uh, tithe as he was from a shepherd's tithe. So there's got to be something more going on, and here it is. It says in verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Do you notice the casual nature there? In the course of time, when he got around to it, with what was left over after his needs were met. After his needs were met, in the course of time, he brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the, what's the next word, you tell me, firstborn of his flock. Abel gave him the first fruits, trusting God will provide his needs for the rest. Cain, when he got around to it, gave a tip to God from what was left over. After all of his other needs were met. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. And we know that he commits the first murder in history. Killing Abel. Because of his jealousy of him. The tithe must be the first. It must not be the leftover tipping of God but it must be from the first fruits. Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Isaac uh, was the firstborn only son of Abraham and Sarah, given by miraculous means late in their life. It was his first and only son, and that's what made it so much faith, in order to sacrifice that son or be willing to sacrifice. God stopped him from doing it, but he wanted to see if he was willing to do it. He didn't wait until Abraham and Sarah had 10 sons and say, okay, now the 10th one, I want to ask you, I want to test you by will you sacrifice the 10th one? No, it's his first and it's only one. And it took faith because he didn't know if any more were to follow. And yet what God stopped Abraham from doing, God himself did By giving his own firstborn son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you've earned. And the Bible says we're to teach this to our children so that God's blessing will be on us generation to generation. Back in Exodus 13, verse 14, it says, In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean, say to him. What does this mean, generation to generation? I remember my dad's not a pastor. He was a forester and then a president of a lumber company. But I remember every Saturday night, he had his little ritual where he had his desk there in his bedroom, and he'd sit there and he'd prepare a Sunday school lesson because he taught the high school boys in our church, and my mom taught the high school girls. Back in my day, the boys and girls were not together on Sunday morning. We didn't have nearly as much fun as they're having over there right now, but we did learn more about the Bible, I think, you know, during that case. So he'd be preparing his lesson. As soon as he finished his lesson, he'd have his little box of of tithing envelopes there. And not that there's anything sacred to that. It's no different than online giving or anything else, but that was the tradition back at that time. And so he has a little box of giving envelopes, and he pulls one out, and he writes the check for the tithe of the week on Saturday night so he'd be prepared when he goes to church on Sunday morning. I remember asking in many conversations we have, Dad, what are you thinking, giving that much money away? Are you Are you kidding me? You know the cool stuff you could buy for me if you didn't uh, give that away, and I remember him just sharing with me, Glenn. This is what Gundersons do, generation to generation. This is what we do. This is what my parents taught me. This is what their parents taught them. This is what I'm teaching you. This is what you're to teach your children, and hopefully they will teach their grandchild our grandchildren, generation to generation. It's what Hazards do. It's what Gundersons do, and 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 we could feel the blessing of God because of that. So when your son or daughter asks you, what does this mean? Say to him or her, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offering of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. The first fruits principle brings about the blessed life. Now, here's for the announcement that I said last Sunday that uh, that I was going to make here uh, today. Uh, if we are being challenged to obey the first fruits principle in our personal lives, if through this study of God's word we're being challenged to obey this first fruits principle in our personal lives, then we have felt led as the leadership of our church that we need to be doing this as a church as well. Now, what I'm going to share with you right now is not going to sound like that big of a deal, but I I guarantee you it is Um, because of this. Whatever you give week by week, not just Sunday by Sunday, but online or through all the different ways that people give, whatever you give week by week, we put immediately back into ministry to helping the needs of people, sharing the message of Jesus, proclaiming the name of Jesus here and in different places all around the world in hundreds of different ways. And we don't hold on to large amounts of money in reserve. And this has been the history of our church, as far as I know, for 145 years. We've kind of lived this way. Because we don't want, if Jesus comes back someday, we don't want to explain why we held large amounts in reserve. We don't want to explain to him why hungry children didn't get fed And why people uh, did not, he comes back and nobody knows about him and doesn't know the message of Christ. We don't want to explain to Jesus why we held large amounts in reserve just to feel secure as a church um, rather than immediately putting it uh, into ministry to help people and to proclaim the name of Christ. So if you ever wonder if your giving week by week makes a difference, it absolutely does. If you ever stop giving for a week, it would have an immediate impact on the hundreds of different ministries that our church is is involved in. As a matter of fact, a question you might ask yourself sometimes, I ask myself this question if everybody in the church gave like me, how healthy would we be as a church? There are many people who don't give anything to the church. Uh, that means that if everybody did as they did, when you show up here on Sunday morning, it would just be closed down. It'd be empty. It'd be sold. No ministries happening at all. I mean, even if you do some of the math on it, and I've done this for myself as well and calculated out, what if everybody did as I did? You know, people think, you know, you have an organization, and if you don't tithe, but instead you just kind of give a certain amount, you just kind of pick it out of the air. Say $1,000. That sounds like a very generous amount to, 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 to give to something. Do you know that if everybody, instead of giving a tithe, only gave $1,000 per year, it would take 6,000 family households in order for the ministry of our church uh, uh, to take place. And so we ask, what if everyone gave like, like I gave, like, like you gave? And if you ever wonder if your giving has an impact, it has, an, um, it has a tremendous impact. And if you ever were to stop giving, it would have an immediate impact on our ability to minister. Now, the main person that is uh, charged by God to worry about all this is our executive pastor, Peter Tory. Um, It's a wonderful setup. I sleep like a baby at night. Peter stays up and worries. So I I love this. It works for me very well. Uh, Peter Torrey, along with the trustees of of, of the church, are the ones that have to worry about this. And and Peter, I mean, he's the guy that just, it's all the stress on him if, if this thing ever gets out of whack for even a week. If even a week it's out of whack, he's the guy that has got to figure it out. And I gave Peter this book to read, The Blessed Life. And lo and behold, he actually read the thing. And you've heard the country song, Drinking and Dialing again. Have you heard that? Maybe I'm the only one. Okay, yes, okay. Um, Drinking and texting again. Don't drink and do anything. We've accused Peter of drinking and reading this book at the same time. Because he came out of reading this, and God laid it on his heart and he shared it with the trustees and it laid it on their hearts. Something we should do in the year 2016. That, that we should take the whole first week's income of January of 2016 and give it away to a needier group than us. They just felt that to do that. And, and that doesn't sound like a big deal. It is a big deal if we start out the year down a week. Income. It it really is a big deal. But we're just saying if we're teaching the first fruits principle to the people of our church, then we've got to be willing as a church to put it into action as well, to trust God, to have faith to do it as well. So here's what we're going to do we're going to take the whole first week's income online. Any of the satellites, um, the, the Todd's just found this out for Montana at the 8:30 service. They just found it out, so just thought I'd communicate that uh, with you. Okay, just all the satellites, all the you know all, all, all through the whole week, and we're going to give it to the needs of the and to reach for Christ the children of Thailand. Going to give it to the needs of the children of Thailand, the nation of Thailand, and to reaching them for Christ. Now, now why Thailand? Thailand is 85% Buddhist. I've been reading some stuff on it lately. It is on the verge of explosive growth of, of Christ followers in this country. They are on the cusp of explosive growth. This country, 85% Buddhist. And what we're going to do is we're going to partner with Compassion International to support two churches that are launching child survival programs, uh, and also partnering with our missionaries, Mike and Becky Mann, to provide a village in the northern part of Thailand with clean water, health care resources, education, and to plant a church in that village. Now you ask, why, why Thailand? Why did we pick that country? Because our church has been working directly in Thailand for over half a century. And you may not realize this, but what we have done in Thailand has literally changed the course of history in that country. Say, Glenn, how can you make such a claim? Dick and Marlene Mann were sent from our church in 1959 as agricultural missionaries from our church, and they're educated at Cal Poly Pomona. And they were used by God almost single-handedly to change the main economy of Thailand from a drug-based economy to a non-drug-based economy. They're highly honored in Thailand. They were the king. They were friends with the king of Siam. You know from the king and I? The king of Thailand. Personal friend of theirs because of how God used them to almost single-handedly see the the main economy of Thailand shift from being a drug-based one to a non-drug-based one. Mike and Becky Mann were sent for our church in 1989. They have now brought water, and churches to between one and two hundred villages in northern Thailand, six of them directly done by our church alone. Uh, villages in northern Thailand. Matt and Lori Mann were sent by our church in 1994, and they now have a ministry against human trafficking, ministering to the street children of neighboring Laos, Lao, um, it's based out of Thailand because human trafficking is so big there in Bangkok and in the surrounding countries. So they're based in Thailand, but they're ministering to the street children from Laos. Now, this is a totally scary thing to start 2016, a week uh, behind in our income. But by faith, we believe that God is going to bless the other 51 weeks and more than make up the difference because this is how the first fruits principle works. And another little sidebar. I was so excited about this. You know how we've prayed that if you put everything together that we give to Global Impact and staff and what we give away and everything, we've always dreamed about having a million dollars missions budget. And do you know that when you get your budget next week, you'll see that we're just shy of that million dollar missions budget. But with this first week's offering going a hundred percent to missions, we will now in 2016 be a million-dollar missions church. And I believe not only the first fruits thing from the first week, but the whole thing that we do where $1 out of every five or six or seven go, about $1 out of every seven goes outside of our ministries here. Um, You know, really 100% of it goes. Being located in Pomona has the advantage of almost all of our ministry is to those needier than ourselves in the surrounding communities and areas but specifically to things outside of our own ministries like that $1 out of 7 it's even beginning now to approach $1 out of 5 and we believe that when we do that and trust god god blesses us in our lives and he'll bless our church in 2016 more than he's ever blessed it before. Does this sound like a good idea to you? Now, I want to remind you uh, that when the service is over, grab one of these books. Love for you to get this and to read it. It'll change your life. The prayer room is open for the prayer team and the prayer partners. They would love to pray with you, whatever need.